It's interesting as you grow older, some of the memories that pop into your mind from years ago, and I had a memory pop in my mind from the time I was six years old. Uh, we um, had uh, been introduced to TV shows, and, and uh, one that we were committed to, my younger brothers and I, was a show by the wonderful world of Disney to help uh, give Zach some encouragement that uh, Disney is not just a 21st century kind of phenomenon. Uh, we watched this, this show regularly, The Wonderful World of Disney, and they would have, from time to time, series of certain characters on. And I remember vividly the character of Davy Crockett, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. And I remember the actor's name, which I can never remember actor's name, so I remember the actor's name was Fess Parker, and he was a good-looking guy. And this show, we would faithfully sit and watch it every week at this given time, I don't remember one episode except one instance at the end of one particular episode that just made an indelible mark on my memory. Davy Crockett was in a conflict. He had some friends with him. And right at the end of the show, uh, his friend received a, a, a serious wound. And it was, it was obvious to my six-year-old mind that this wound was serious. This is the first time I'd ever seen a good guy be wounded in that way on TV. The Lone Ranger never received that wound. The Lone Ranger never even killed anyone. He would just shoot someone in the hand. That's all he would do. And I remember thinking to myself, whoa, wait a second. Do you mean to tell me good guys can get hurt really badly? And then I thought, I wonder if good guys could even die. I don't know about you, but I like a story with a happy ending. I like the fairy tale and they lived happily ever after. I love that statement. And I, I imagine them actually doing that, whatever the story. I don't want to hear about people who fail. I don't want to hear about people who quit and people who don't get to accomplish their goals. But we know that life isn't always happy. Experiences teach us that. And many people do fail. Many people do quit and don't accomplish what they've dreamed of. Good guys can suffer. Years ago, I talked about a friend of mine. Um, maybe you remember me talking about his name is Mark Warren. Mark was a young man when I met him. I was a young man as well. I was in campus ministry at a college in Minnesota. Mark was a student. Mark was a, a really vibrant person. He was very sincere and, and, and uh, steadfast in his faith. Uh, when he graduated, he went into ministry for a season and then um, met and married his wife, Susie. And left ministry and, and went into the medical field. And as he was making this transition, he uh, developed some very serious neurological symptoms. And within six months of, of uh, him having these symptoms and probably married just about a year and a half, uh, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Obviously very serious. And over the course of the years, Mark has lost his ability to to breathe on his own, eat on his own. He has no uh, control over his muscles except for his jaw muscles uh, and, and his, his eye muscles. And the only way he can communicate is, is through a, a system called Dynavox where he, his eye muscles will move in a certain direction and he'll type out laboriously uh, letters to form words, to form sentences, uh, to, to communicate with those around him. Every year we wait for Mark's email at Christmas time. Every time I read that, I realize, you know, good guys, because Mark's a good guy. Uh, he suffered, and he suffered for years. So it always encourages me to ask the question, how, how do I keep going when things aren't going my way? How do, how do we keep going? 
How do we handle difficulties and the pain that we find ourselves in? How do we persevere so we can end well? You know, I, I came up with this, this uh, sermon idea, this, this mini-series, long before the coronavirus hit. So it's interesting that, that we're, I'm talking about this now, but all of us have been through difficult times. Uh, it, at the very least, it's, it's, it's irritating and, and it's upsetting in terms of our schedule and, and our relationships. Some of us have gone through very dire times uh, physically and, and financially and, and relationally. My wife and I have chronicled the, the, uh, the news uh, regularly. We want to see how things are going. One evening, Renee and I were listening to a program that, that, that uh, let us know what the most vulnerable groups are. Of course, the most vulnerable age group, the most vulnerable demographic, are, are 65 and older, and they called uh, this particular group a term. And my wife leaned forward to me, and she looked at me with wide eyes, and she said, Jim, are we considered elderly? And I didn't know quite how to answer that. I, 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 it's true, but we talked back and forth, and we, we decided that we would use, to, for our own satisfaction, the word older. Now, we don't want to be elderly yet. Uh, it's a little too vulnerable for us right now. See, our faith calls us to come into a relationship with Christ, and this relationship calls us to take on his life, certainly, but it also encourages us to, to take on his death and his resurrection and his ascension. So we're going to spend some time in a passage in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to spend uh, today in verses 7 through 11, next week, verses 12 through 14. Uh, Philippians is a book written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, from uh, jail cell uh, in Rome. And uh, it was not luxury accommodations. This wasn't a, an executive suite jail cell. This was a, a dank cell, and there were chains involved. And the chains were connected to two uh, palace guards, Praetorian guards. Paul was guarded 24-7, and shifts of these guards would come in and, and chain themselves to Paul uh, to make sure that, that he wouldn't escape. And it's this kind of environment that he writes this letter to this church in Philippi, a church that he ministered to years before. It is one of the most joyful letters that Paul writes. He is, he is communicating to them uh, in, in a spirit that is... is infused with, with dedication to his faith and to the joy that he has in his walk with Christ, writing from a jail cell. So in chapter 3, right before this passage that we're going to look at, Paul talks about his personal past, his qualifications, what, what made him who he was. He was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a zealous Pharisee. He was a faultless Pharisee. He followed the law impeccably. Paul was at the top of the heap when it came to his position and accomplishments. But the Apostle Paul didn't end there. He began to understand that that, that was his own efforts to make himself feel like those things really mattered. But it was his relationship with Christ absolutely transformed his life. And he talks about this relationship in a very poignant way in this passage. The questions that come out of, out of this, this first part of this, this chapter, is, the questions I have is, what am I striving for? What, what's my focus? Where do I put my energies? 
So Paul writes this in our passage. I want to read these verses. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And here's the, here, here, here are the two verses that I want us to especially focus on. He writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. It's a radical change of perspective here. Paul casts aside his previous successes, and he does so by saying they, they amounted to garbage in light of what he found in Christ. And this, this declarative statement, this strong statement that he makes at the beginning of verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. So there's two aspects to, to, to verse 10 that I want us to focus on. The first one is this, that Paul calls us as believers, and he calls himself into this whole idea of what's gain is now loss. And he wants to participate, he says, in the sufferings of Christ. And, and another poignant phrase in this is becoming like him in his death. Paul Miller wrote um, this passage in, in a book that he wrote, uh, The J-Curve, and um, I, thought, I thought it was uh, especially poignant when it talks about what Christ went through for us. Jesus, who honored his father, he writes, more than any other person was accused of blasphemy. He who kept the Sabbath by healing the sick was accused of breaking the Sabbath law. The only man who never yielded to Satan was accused of being controlled by Satan. One of the most basic rules of our faith is what happens to Jesus happens to us. Did you get that last statement? What happens to Jesus happens to us. It's not just a series of beliefs. We are called into uh, a, a relationship with Christ and are identified with him. The suffering theme is not unique to Paul. It's all through the New Testament. The Apostle Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal, ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch, and he writes, as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So here's my secret to life. There it is. You showed up, you've listened this far, you get to hear it. Ready? Secret to life is knowing what is worth our suffering. What's worth our pain? We have a regroup uh, where, where uh, people from our community come together and they, they work together to deal with issues that have, have them trapped for, for years. And, and they, they call uh, what, what calls them away from a healthy lifestyle is wasted pain. We're not called to a life of wasted pain. We're called to a life of pain that really takes us somewhere. A suffering that has meaning and has hope because that suffering helps us to know Christ. 
This is pain well spent. So we don't just endure sufferings as Christians. We embrace it in the sense, not in a masochistic way, but in a way that says, hey, this helps me grow. This helps me understand a little bit more what it means to walk with Christ. And then there's this statement, Paul writes, becoming like him in his death. And I, I, I looked at that passage, I asked myself the question, what was, what was Christ like in his dying? What, what qualities did he have? And, and as I thought about it, I, th I thought about the fact that he was submissive. He was forgiving. He was suffering, obviously. We know of his suffering. But he was loving. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. There was love that came down from the cross. And he was resolute. He decided to do the will of the Father. So for the believer... All suffering has the ability to lead us into a deeper and more intimate relationship with Christ. There is a deep humility in our suffering and in our powerlessness. That's one of the lessons that, that I think we all have learned from the pandemic. We, we don't have the power ultimately to decide every decision for ourselves. There are things that happen to us that we cannot control. My father uh, was a veteran of World War II, and in this Memorial Day weekend, it's, it's uh, fun to be able to talk about my dad, who uh, served uh, in the U United States Navy for several years in the South Pacific. Uh, this Memorial Day, it's, it's uh, great to have someone as a part of our congregation, um, Alan Hodges, who is also a World War II vet, and we thank you, Alan, for your service and, and for the fact that you faithfully served during that time. My father uh, wasn't a real social man. I mean, he was an introvert. But after the war, he married my mom and, and he uh, raised us. But as he got older, every year he would go to a reunion. And that reunion was of the, the CB reunion, his, his unit, his battalion that served together in the South Pacific. And those men, when they got together, would, would recount stories and, and, and they would fellowship together. You know why they were close? Because they suffered together. They were removed halfway around the world from their loved ones. They went through difficult times. They, their lives were in constant danger. My dad's life was in constant danger. They were in danger of illness. My dad had a serious case of malaria coming out of the war. All these things, these men suffered together for a great cause. And it bound them together. There is fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word in our sufferings as we suffer together for the cause of Christ. And not just with ourselves, but with Christ himself. McLaren in his commentary on this passage says, when we are living in fellowship with Jesus, that union works in two directions. On the one hand, we may venture to feel that our sufferings for him our sufferings with him. So when we suffer, we understand that he suffered as well. And we may thankfully feel that in all our afflictions, he is afflicted. And then he concludes with this statement. If his sufferings are ours, we may be sure that ours are his. God just doesn't see our sufferings. He joins with us in our sufferings. He's there. He doesn't just observe he feels. His sufferings are ours, but 
Our sufferings are his. So if there is a lost baby, that suffering is his. When a loved one is put on a ventilator, or perhaps if you had serious illness, that suffering is his. When you can't pay the rent, that suffering is his. When there's chronic illness, that suffering is his. If you've been slandered by someone, that suffering is his. There is a fellowship, Paul says, in that suffering. And the second thing that lifts our heads in this passage is that there is a loss to gain. Paul says, I want to experience also the power of his resurrection. Ah, the resurrection. I have a friend of mine who who I've really tried to communicate the gospel to, and he's just so struggling with it, and, and, and he has such a hard time with it. I mean, he came to church one time, and I said, how'd it go after he had attended? And he said, oh, he says, it's just too much to believe. And sometimes it feels that way. But for us as believers, those of us who, who have put our faith in Christ, there is power in the resurrection. It's the first taste of, 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 of the resurrection that we have when we become alive spiritually. We have a resurrected spiritual life when we come to faith in him, in Jesus, our Savior. We go from death to life. The the early church wasn't just some folks who got together for fun and fellowship. These people were persecuted. These people were derided. What put them together? Why did they do this? They do this because their lives were transformed, radically and profoundly changed by going from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. They experienced the power of Christ's resurrection. So we don't yield ourselves without reason. We're privileged to join in the power and joy of the resurrection. Paul Miller says of of the book of Philippians, Paul views his sufferings in Philippians through resurrection eyes. And that's what you and I are called to do. We are called to view our sufferings through resurrection eyes. I ask myself the question all the time, how do I view my sufferings? Going through this coronavirus, I, I, I was surprised at, at the, the stress that somehow that caused and, and, and the difficulty that I was having trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to survive this? And, and one of the real surprises, and I'm not a very wealthy man, but I'm just going, what's this going to do to my finances, whatever wealth I have? But the question then is, that's not suffering. Where, where do I put my, my, my trust? Is that really going to protect me? Is that really going to give me strength? No, not at all. Because when we experience the power of his resurrection, we then can view whatever happens to to us through resurrection eyes. Davy Crockett's compadre, who received that very serious wound, uh, I remember going to, I had to be there for the next next episode. And uh, to my surprise, that friend died. I couldn't believe it. Good people die. My buddy Mark Warren, who's been on a ventilator for almost three decades, cannot feed himself, cannot breathe on his own, cannot communicate, except through a Dynavox as he types letters out laboriously. He's a good guy. You see, the good guys do suffer. They do die. We are called to die to ourselves and become alive in Christ. This is how we grow. And this is what we, re- we will receive. We will receive eternal life. So Mark, in his last email sent out before Christmas, and he begins 
typing these out in September so we can get them ready by December because it takes that long. These are usually pages long. Here's an excerpt from him. He, he writes, many would say that my life is hopelessly horrible, having no strength, being unable to breathe or move or speak. But my life is infinitely wonderful, for God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. For me, an affliction-free life could be distracting from putting full confidence in Christ, tempting me to be a fool by putting confidence in the flesh. Any self-exalting achievement accomplished apart from Christ's all-sufficient grace is worthless. And everything I've lost, he writes, or am still losing, is valueless in view of what I've gained through the surpassing value of knowing my Lord and Savior. For my friend Mark, it's a life viewed with resurrection eyes. For my friend Mark, it's pain that's well spent. I want to close our time and I want us to pray. And I, I, I have a, a dear friend who's gone through a year of very difficult time. And recently they gave me a, a prayer and I'd want to pray this prayer out loud. And I would like you, I'm going to pray it phrase at a time. And if it meets your needs, wherever you are, if you're suffering anything, I would invite you to pray this prayer either out loud or silently, depending on where you are along with me. And I want to end our time focusing our thoughts on the Lord and how he wants us to process the difficult times we're going through. So bow your heads with me and pray this prayer, uh, phrase by phrase, as I give the phrase, pray it after me. As I wait and pray for this suffering to end, or even if it doesn't end here on earth, help me to accept your will. And thank you that you are with me in my pain. I ask for grace in this time of trial. Help me to be faithful to you and not despair. Help me learn what you would have me learn and share those lessons with others. Please be my shepherd. Comfort me. Encourage me. And lay your healing hands on all those who are suffering as well. In Jesus' name, amen.